You're listening to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast, the official podcast of the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation. We're bringing you the very best from the APSF newsletter and website, as well as the latest information in perioperative patient safety. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast. My name is Allie Bechtel, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us for another show. This is the exciting part two all about the low-pressure alarm. Last week, we talked about anesthesia monitoring standards and the low-pressure alarm, but there is still so much more to talk about today. This is an important topic, and our featured article is one of the top APSF newsletter articles of all time. Before we dive into today's episode, we'd like to recognize Frazenius Cabi, a major corporate supporter of APSF. Frazenius Cabi has generously provided unrestricted support as well as research and educational grants to further our vision that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care. Thank you, Frazenius Cabi. We wouldn't be able to do all that we do without you. Let's head back into the APSF archives. Our featured article today can be found by clicking on the newsletter heading. Fourth one down is Newsletter Archives. From here, scroll down to 1998 and click on the Winter 1998 issue. Looking at the article's column on the left, click on the fourth one down, which is our featured article today. The Low Pressure Alarm Condition, Safety Considerations, and the Anesthesiologist's Response by David Raphael. As we go through this article, keep in mind that this is an article from our archives episode, so things may have changed since the publication of this article. This will just give us more to talk about on future shows, but this article is of interest from our archives. Have you heard or seen a low-pressure alarm in the OR while providing anesthesia care? The anesthesia machines are incredibly complex pieces of advanced medical technology. This was true back in 1998, and it remains true today. When functioning appropriately, these machines provide oxygenation, ventilation, and anesthesia. When patients require mechanical ventilation, it is vital that the anesthesia machine and breathing circuit be functioning appropriately and be intact. If a low-pressure alarm occurs, this is the time for anesthesia professionals to take action to troubleshoot and address the alarm in order to be able to continue to provide mechanical ventilation to the patient. First, we are going to review the differential diagnosis, and then we'll take you through a response algorithm with practical steps to follow in order to troubleshoot a low-pressure alarm. In order to generate an accurate differential diagnosis, we will review the four components of the mechanical breathing system, including number one, the gas source, number two, the conducting system or the breathing circuit. Number three, the pressure generator or the mechanical ventilator in this case. And number four, the waste gas scavenging system, which only interacts with the ventilator limb and the adjustable pressure limiting valve or the pop-off valve. These four components come together at a common location where the system can be converted from mechanical ventilation to manual ventilation. Check out figure one in the article for a visual representation of this. 
So what can cause the low pressure alarm in this system? Here is our differential. Number one, inadequate fresh gas inflow. Number two, breathing system leak or obstruction. Number three, faulty or inappropriately set mechanical ventilation. And number four, excess removal of gas from the breathing system. Now that we have our differential, let's go through the algorithm. Anesthesia professionals need to be ready to move through this response algorithm when there is a low-pressure alarm in order to maintain patient safety during anesthesia care. Here we go. The first priority is to maintain oxygenation and ventilation for the patient. One of the important steps for preparing for anesthesia care is to ensure that there is a backup method for ventilation available, which may include a self-inflating resuscitation bag or ambu bag and a tank of 100% oxygen. Now, let's say that the low-pressure alarm has sounded. The first step is to check the available additional monitors, including the pulse oximeter, end tidal CO2, and the pressure gauge on the ventilator or the pressure trace. You will also want to confirm the alarm is the low-pressure alarm with the visual and auditory alerts. The author includes a response algorithm in Figure 2 that you can follow along with for the next steps. Next, evaluate for a complete or partial circuit disconnection. Start at the Y piece and make your way proximally to the anesthesia machine, making sure to check all sites distal to the switchover between mechanical and manual ventilation. This scan only takes a couple of seconds. The most common location is at the Y piece and may occur while repositioning the patient or during prepping and draping for surgery or with patient movement as well. If a disconnection is discovered, reconnect the tube and continue to monitor to ensure that the alarm has been addressed and that the patient is being adequately oxygenated and ventilated. If there is no disconnect, let's move on to the next step. Make the switch from mechanical ventilation to manual ventilation. Changing to manual reservoir bag ventilation excludes any ventilator-related malfunctions and narrows the differential to causes related to the breathing circuit of the fresh gas limb. Now, push the oxygen flush valve button to fill the reservoir bag with 100% oxygen. This step allows for evaluation of the following three situations. Number one, the reservoir bag fills with 100% O2 and tells us that the pipeline to oxygen flush valve system is intact and functioning properly, and we can turn our attention to the breathing circuit and fresh gas and ventilator limbs. Number two, the reservoir bag does not fill with oxygen, which tells us that there is a problem with the fresh gas supply or the oxygen flush valve itself. And number three, the reservoir bag fills at first, but then collapses, which tells us that there's a problem with an active suction device in the breathing circuit, a misconnection in the circuit, or a problem with the scavenging system. Making our way through this algorithm, we will review each of the above three scenarios separately. Let's start with the first one, when the reservoir bag does fill up appropriately. Now that we know that the pipeline is intact, we can turn our attention to the breathing circuit. Here are the steps to evaluate the breathing circuit. First, attempt to provide manual ventilation by partially closing the adjustable pressure relief valve and squeezing the now filled up reservoir bag. Look for adequate chest rise and listen for breath sounds. 
evaluate the capnograph and respirometer to confirm exhalation as well. If you do not hear breath sounds or see chest rise or evidence of exhalation, then ventilation is not occurring. During attempted manual ventilation, the circuit pressure gauge or the pressure trace monitor on the anesthesia machine may demonstrate failure to generate pressure within the breathing system. Step 2. Increase pressure within the reservoir bag. You may need pressures as high as 40 centimeters of water. Then apply pressure to evaluate for an audible leak, which may provide a clue as to where the partial disconnection is located. Examine the breathing circuit carefully to make sure that all of the components are connected securely. The third step is to discontinue or remove any suction devices. Remember, the nasogastric tube may inadvertently be placed into the trachea, and when suction is applied, the low-pressure alarm may sound. In this situation, the applied suction within the trachea may even lead to a sub-atmospheric pressure alarm as well. The fourth step is that if we made it this far in the algorithm, then we need to make sure that the problem is not with the location of the endotracheal tube or a faulty endotracheal tube cuff. This step involves evaluation of the cuff, and if it does not hold pressure, then you may need to replace the endotracheal tube. This may be difficult to do during surgery, so consider using a video laryngoscope and airway exchange catheter to do this safely. If the cuff can hold pressure and is intact, then this may be due to an inadvertent extubation, and it is time to act quickly to remove the endotracheal tube and provide mask ventilation while preparing to reintubate if necessary. Now, what if we return to step one and we are able to provide adequate oxygenation and ventilation manually with the reservoir bag? This means that we see good chest rise and can hear bilateral breath sounds and have positive end-tidal CO2. This means that the problem must be somewhere else in the breathing circuit. Remember, we have already ruled out a clearly visible disconnection, a cuff tear or deflation, and an accidental extubation. Now we need to examine the entire circuit for evidence of a leak or obstruction, starting with the endotracheal tube to adapter and moving to the endotracheal tube adapter to breathing circuit, followed by the sidestream sampling gas monitors, for example, the mass spectrometer or capnograph, the condenser or humidifier, the pressure sensor, the oxygen analyzer, the PEEP valve, or any other add-on connections. Next, we will need to evaluate the inspiratory and expiratory limb connections until we reach the reservoir bag mount-to-bag connection. Another important consideration at this time is anything that may be providing high flow rates to the gas analyzer or bronchoscopic suctioning. In order to troubleshoot, remove the bronchoscope in the breathing system if bronchoscopy is being performed and disconnect the high flow rate sidestream sampling gas analyzer from the system. Did this resolve the alarm? We have now reached the end of our evaluation of the breathing circuit. If the problem has not been identified yet and manual ventilation is possible with the reservoir bag, then we need to evaluate the fresh gas limb. The next part of the algorithm involves an evaluation of the fresh gas limb. We have already made sure that there is no leak or obstruction in the oxygen flush valve pathway. We need to take a closer look at the high-pressure system located upstream of the oxygen flow meter control valve and the low-pressure system, which is downstream. 
If there is decreased oxygen supply pressure in the high-pressure system, this is when the fail-safe valve shuts off or reduces the flow of nitrous oxide and other gases to the respective flow meter control valve. The fail-safe safety feature is unique to the high-pressure system and will not respond to decreased oxygen supply pressure in the low-pressure system. This is an important clinical scenario as well as one that is tested on the boards. If the nitrous oxide and oxygen are being used and there is a leak or obstruction in the oxygen flow meter, the flow of nitrous oxide will not automatically decrease and the patient may receive a hypoxic gas mixture. This is the type of problem that requires an oxygen analyzer to identify the hypoxic gas mixture since the low pressure alarm will not signal that there is a problem. Check out figure 3 in the article for a visual representation of the fresh gas system. The next step is to evaluate the flow meter bobbins. Check their position up or down and make sure that they are moving freely and not stuck. First, if the bobbin is in the up position and does not move with changes in the control knob, then the bobbin is stuck. This may occur due to dirt, non-vertical alignment of the flow meters, and static electricity. If this is the case, the anesthesia machine cannot be used for patient care and must be replaced. If the bobbins are in the up position but are able to move freely with control knob changes, then there may be an obstruction or leak distal to the bobbins in the low-pressure system. If it is a big leak upstream of the common gas outlet, then very little flow may leave the common gas outlet and the low-pressure alarm will sound. One of the ways to temporarily troubleshoot this is to turn up the fresh gas flows. If the problem is an obstruction downstream of the flow meters, the transmitted pressure to the bobbins compresses the gas and the bobbins float to a lower position. As a result, there will not be adequate fresh gas flow leaving the common gas outlet and the low pressure alarm will sound. We can now move from the flow meters to the vaporizers to ensure that there is no leak or obstruction. If no problem is identified here, it is important to evaluate the common gas outlet for the presence or absence of gas flow. If there is no flow here, then there must be a leak or obstruction in the fresh gas pathway between the bobbins and the common gas outlet. To troubleshoot, use your backup method for ventilation, like the Ambu bag and 100% oxygen from a reserve tank with a separate flow meter and the anesthesia machine will need to be replaced. Keep in mind that the Omida anesthesia machines have a common gas outlet check valve that is downstream of the bobbins. This serves to stop retrograde gas flow from the breathing circuit into the anesthesia machine. For anesthesia machines without this check valve, positive pressure during manual or controlled ventilation or transmitted from the oxygen flush valve may transmit to the low pressure system, which would reveal a leak in the flow meters or distal to the flow meters. What happens if the bobbin remains in the down position? This occurs when there is an internal machine leak or obstruction. So, if the bobbin stays in the down position after adjusting the control knob, open the oxygen reserve cylinder. If the bobbins remain down, then the leak or obstruction is proximal to the flow meter control valve and within the high-pressure system. Once again, you will need to use your backup ventilation and replace the anesthesia machine. We have reached another milestone in the response algorithm. 
If we have not discovered the problem in the breathing circuit or in the fresh gas supply limb, then we will need to continue our investigation with the ventilator limb. And this seems like the perfect time to leave you with a cliffhanger, because we still have a lot to talk about when it comes to the low-pressure alarm. Since this is the case, I hope that you will join us for Part 3 next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments from today's show, please email us at podcast at APSF.org or connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Visit APSF for detailed information and check out the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. Please keep in mind that the information in this show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical or legal advice. Have you checked out the June 2021 APSF newsletter yet? It was published online on June 1st. Go check it out and then check back here because there will be some great content that we will be discussing in upcoming shows. Until next time, stay vigilant so that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care.